Hello and welcome to the Women in Oxford's History podcast. To open the year, we're going to be talking about an incredibly interesting woman by the name of Iris Murdoch, who was a professor here at the University of Oxford. I'm JC. I'm Alice. And I'm Bethany. And to discuss Iris's work and life, we have here Lily, who has done a lot of work into Iris's background and is going to be sharing some otherwise untold stories about Iris and her fascinating life. Hi, I'm, I'm Lily. I am in my master's at uh, the International Development Department studying forced migration and refugee studies, and I'm really excited to be here. Well, why don't you start off by giving us a brief bio of who she was, where she came from, what her life involved? Sure. So she was born in the really early 1900s in Ireland and moved to London weeks after her birth with her family because of her father's position just as a civil servant and had a pretty middle class upbringing, very well educated, only child, and then came to Oxford with the intention of studying English and switched over to classics and finished in 1942 as a member of Somerville College. And then she went to work for the Treasury and did the work with the refugee camps in Austria and a little bit of work in Belgium. Got pulled back into academia and did some postgraduate work at Cambridge, but I think she felt Oxford pulling her back in and came back to Oxford as a fellow with St. Anne's College, and she was a lecturer in philosophy for a little under 20 years and retired in 1963 to pursue her career as a novelist and ended up being very successful with that. So is that when she mainly started publishing her novels? Was it around 1963 after she left, or was there anything? She published one before. She Mm. published, well, a few before, and Mm. I think she couldn't find the balance between lecturing and being a novelist. She's quite successful in her novels, and I think she wanted to see how far that would take her. I believe her first novel was published in 1954, and she wrote, it's kind of disputed how many she actually was able to publish. It kind of hovers between 25 and 27, and that's a disputable fact, just depending on what you would count as a novel and what you would count as a philosophical work. Which book would you recommend? I think it really depends on what kind of theme you're looking for, because she writes about different themes in her books. Personally, the one that I really enjoy is The Sea, The Sea, because it's about concepts of gender roles and femininity in a really strong, but also a subtle way. It's a male protagonist, but it seems to me that the book is about the fragile male ego, and she writes about it in a way that doesn't seem mocking or obvious of the fragile male ego it's I think a very complex way of framing it it's about a a man who lives in solitude and becomes really obsessed with one of the loves of his life and it just sort of dissects why that obsession is just a reflection of ego and a reflection of gendered expectations but she also writes about really complex themes like refugeehood and queer identity Um, it's been suggested that she doesn't really do queer identity justice and it doesn't really reflect the reality of what it was like to be gay in the 50s and 60s and 70s (laughs) but she also does write about books that feature like homosexual family units which is something that was unheard of at the time so I think it really depends on what you want to connect to because she's got so many novels. 
But The Sea of the Sea is my favourite, yeah. And that was the one that won the Booker Prize in 1978, I think. Correct. And her choice to write about same-sex relationships was also, it was part of a wider theme in 20th century literature. These stories were starting to emerge, but it was part of the start of this. these themes being discussed more widely in fiction. So I got the sense that nowadays people might have heard her name but not know what she did or what her what her life involved. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I think she's quite well known just considering the major motion picture that was made about her life based on the book that her husband wrote. Kate Winslet and Judi Dench were in it and it was fairly well received and she's also quite well known in the literature community just for having written so many well-received novels. But I don't think people know too much about her career as an academic, as a philosopher, and how she's influenced the discipline. And talking of philosophy, what was it about her philosophy that interested you? Well, she started in a time in philosophy that was dominated by men, and it's still a discipline that's very much dominated by men even now, but she was rubbing against the grain of where philosophy was going. It was very kind of positivist, and she wrote a lot of her pieces rejecting what the current philosophical climate was, and I just enjoyed that she challenged what was being taught and lectured on at Cambridge and at Oxford as well, and I also appreciate our philosopher who isn't super nihilist and she's an advocate for free will and individualization and choice and I really appreciate that I find it very empowering and that was against the general thought in Oxford yeah generally she wrote a lot of critique of Kant and she was sort of reframing a lot of ancient philosophy by Plato and really engaged with the dialogue of what was happening you know Oxford and Cambridge and really, I think, unintentionally integrated that into her novels as well. I've watched interviews where she says that they're very distinct wheelhouses and they don't really intermingle, but I think that her philosophies are very palpable in all of her novels. Do we have a sense of how she viewed her male contemporaries? Do we know anything about how she found her time in Oxford? Well, I think she loved Oxford. I'm not too certain of how she felt as a student, but I do think that she was unabashed about taking the lead in teaching her students and not really paying any mind to what other people had to say to her about her own teachings to other students because she was criticized with how much intellectual freedom she gave her students and that she wasn't guiding them necessarily in the proper direction and giving them a little too much freedom to explore all the options and I think that's really admirable. I don't know if she necessarily I think she pushed back to her predecessors in a very academic way and just engaging them in articles and tearing them up. She's very critical. So do we have any sense of, of what influence she had on her female contemporaries, working in philosophy or otherwise? She's been credited with really shaping the discipline for women in philosophy and just shaping female philosophers that studied her and studied below her. Um, Philippa Foote is a really prolific philosopher, as well as Elizabeth Anscombe, who also credit a lot of their influence to Iris. It's interesting you use the word freedom. 
because it seems that freedom was something that really characterized her life. Would you say that that's the case? Yeah, absolutely. I think her intellectual freedom and even her freedom in her personal life, freedom of choice, that was something that she wrote a majority of her philosophies on, an existentialist ideology, and that's all about the individual and your ability to make your own choices, and that shapes who you are. There is no overarching puppeteer on your life. She really embraced free will a lot, and I appreciated that. And then she's a very sexually liberated woman, which personally I think is really, really cool, (laughs) especially in the 50s and 60s. She had a very modern marriage and modern relationship, which some people might think she's a cheat, but (laughs) I think that it worked for them and that it's for no one else to understand but them. So you say she had quite an unconventional private life. What do you mean by that? Yeah, she definitely had a very unconventional private life, especially for the time period. She, I think, had a lot of loves, simultaneously great loves in her life, and she dated men and had relationships with women as well. So before she had met the sort of love of her life in Oxford, she had two great loves. One was Franz Steiner, who was an anthropologist, and another was Frank Thompson, and both of which she credits World War II to killing. One was killed as a soldier and one was killed by, I think, the stress of the trauma of the war because his entire family was killed in the Holocaust and one of them had actually proposed to her and died very shortly after and she was rumored to be absolutely devastated and heartbroken for the remainder of her life and that heartbreak permeates a lot of the characters in her novels. She writes a lot about love and loss but then she met John Bailey who was an English professor at Oxford and they fell in love, had a very beautiful successful marriage until she died They were married for almost 40 years and a little bit more actually than 40 years and he was sort of perceived as an asexual being, just didn't really find any interest in having sexual relations but also a romantically involved man so they had a very intimate partnership and friendship and it seemed that he was okay with her maintaining extramarital relationships throughout their marriage because she was a very sexual person and it seemed to work for them and he was aware of some of the affairs that she had and it never seemed to be a problem he loved her till the very last day of her life (laughs) the thing that bothers me about discussion of her is that she does seem to be defined by her relationships and I do think that they are fascinating and it is a very modern relationship to have in that in and of itself is an empowering thing to read about to see a woman who knows what she wants and knows how to maintain healthy relationships in a very unconventional way but it's a shame that all of there's a big motion picture made about her that's basically all about her relationship and her marriage and I feel like that doesn't really do her justice as an intellectual as a writer as a philosopher she's so much more than having a bizarre home life. Do you think that has a lot to do with maybe or has something to do with that men are accorded a certain privacy or because it fits in with particular societal stereotypes but if women's role doesn't fit in with particular stereotypes or expectations that that's what comes to the fore 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that is unfortunately what people would focus on because, especially considering the time period, there were academics rumored to have, she was sort of rumored to have had this reputation of, you know, who hasn't slept with Iris Murdoch in the field of philosophy or literature and making suggestions that she was having affairs with students and postgraduates. Yeah, and I just think that's a ridiculous we seem to have this morbid fascination yeah. with the private lives of female authors in a way that we don't extend to male authors. And I totally agree that when you talk about Iris Murdoch, it seems inevitable that you end up talking about this private life that she had. And as you've said, that's not representative of all the amazing things that she achieved and all the work that she managed to do. Yeah, I think when you're a novelist and you're writing fiction about love and loss and a lot of other complex themes, it's unfortunate that if she's featuring sexuality or relationships in her novels that that seems to be an invitation into her private life and people try to make those connections between her private life and the novels because, I mean, obviously every novelist is going to take bits of their own world and incorporate them into their novels, but it's just not an invitation to pass judgment or attribute that to the plots of these novels. So she was made a dame in 1987, but we get the sense that she didn't much care for the title. Yeah, I don't really think that she paid it any mind, not to say she wasn't honoured by it, but she didn't frequently address herself in that way and also would wear sneakers and the queen's appearance, if that tells you anything about... It's hard to smartly or, Mm. like, intelligently phrase that she was like, she just did whatever she wanted, (laughs) so... There's something really powerful about that. Yeah. Because I think we like to think that as women nowadays that we can do whatever we want to do, but actually there's still so many strictures on what is expected of us. And to have a role model of somebody who literally lived the life that she set out to live is still incredibly rare. Yeah. And it's it's she outshined her husband, which never, ever happens. So could you give us a very brief overview of the last few years of her life? Yeah, unfortunately, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in the late 90s, sort of around 1995-96 is when she received the official diagnosis, but it seemed that she was slowing down in about the last decade of her life, and it was very slow and I'm sure painful to observe descent into what that disease does, and she had to be moved to an assisted living facility to live out the final days of her life because John Bailey was no longer able to keep watch over her and make sure that she didn't hurt herself or get into any trouble. And she died in 1999, and he was right there next to her. So what do you think her legacy is for for young women or women today? I think her legacy shines in the way that she opened up herself to judgment and criticism through her novels and through her personal life and philosophy, and she still made choices solely based on what she wanted to do and what mattered to her and what was inspiring to her, and I think that that is inspiring in and of itself. I think that her legacy in philosophy is palpable, though it's not all that well known and covered and I think her novels are really inspiring to read as a woman because she writes about gender roles and deconstructing structures that I face as a woman now today in 2018.
Thank you for listening to Women in Oxford's History and Through the Life of Iris Murdoch, the inspiration that women can lead the lives they want to from the choices that they make. Please check the website womenofoxford.org for any information about Iris or any of our previous episodes. And we look forward to you joining us again next time. Thank you.